God, source of all light. By your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in the Holy Spirit scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Today's Amen. scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, second chapter, 1 through 16 verses. It can be found in the Sanctuary Bible on page 166 of the New Testament. Listen now to God's living word. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not speak wisdom. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived, what God had prepared for These those who love God him. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit within him. So also, no one comprehends what is truly God, except we the spirit have of God. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are those spiritual. who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of the God's spirit, for they are foolishness to them. And they are unable to understand them because they are discerned spiritually. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Be to God. This is God's living word. Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. 
Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. So last week I introduced an idea called a guiding narrative, a story that that shapes our identity, a story that we tell again and again that becomes a part of the nature of who we are. And to illustrate this a little bit further, I want to tell two stories, one of my great-grandfather and one of my grandfather. Now, my great-grandfather, I really never had the gift of knowing, though he knew me. He died when I was a baby, but he had had the chance to hold me. When we tell stories about him, the stories are about his life as an outdoorsman, as a hunter, a trapper. He was the old-school kind of outdoorsman. any greater illustration of his accomplishments in wilderness, it would have been the animals of his hunts that decorated our family houses. Houses, as in my family, my cousins, my aunt and uncles, my grandparents. There was a deer head in our living room. There were owls on mantles of many of our houses. There was a absolutely enormous fish that he caught. There were seal skins from hunts that he did in the art side. Us children were mortified by my grandmother who obsessively cleaned the animals to make sure they weren't dusty when one day she took the vacuum to the owl's head, which attached to the vacuum, and, well, I'll leave that there. But my grandfather was, when we, he told stories about his life in the outdoors, they, were, they had a different character. Where my great-grandfather was an explorer kind of outdoorsman, my grandfather always told stories about being with people and situations. He didn't tell the stories of the biggest fish caught or the buck with the many points. His guiding narrative was different than my great-grandfather's. One of his iconic stories that he told was fishing with his father. They were out on the river, and they were trolling for fish, and the engine cut off. And so my grandfather sitting in the front of the boat, and his father was pulling the cord to get it started, and it wouldn't start, and he increased the choke a little bit, kept pulling and pulling until finally, after giving it a little more throttle, it, it engaged, but it took off. With him falling out of the back of the boat and my grandfather in the front speeding away from his father in the river, which my father, all of a, a young boy of, I think, seven or eight, turned the boat around and went back to get his father. He loved to tell these kinds of stories of being with people, the time that the family went camping and everything in camp washed away because of a storm, but they stayed dry because of his prospector's tent that was, was fiercely set uh, into the ground with this heavy oil skin that, that repelled the water. My grandfather's stories were usually, even though he was a great outdoorsman, focused on the mishaps and how they navigated these mishaps together. His guiding narrative was about the people he was with in the wilderness. 
The two men told very different stories about their life in wilderness, revealing different kinds of guiding narratives behind those stories, suggesting very different identities of who they were as people. They had different ways of seeing the world and different ways of interacting now, with it. Now, when we it. turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul is trying to teach, to show the Corinthian people and their church in Corinth how to embody new guiding narratives. In this morning's scripture, Paul offers two distinct parts to a new guiding narrative. First, Paul suggests that all wisdom and knowledge that he had experienced and that he had shared with the Corinthians comes from Jesus Christ and comes from a knowledge of Christ crucified. The second part of this guiding, these guiding narratives is that Paul guides the church in Corinth to seek to live with what he calls the mind of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I read these two and think to myself, this is a bit abstract. So what do these mean? For a person of faith to see the world through Jesus Christ and through Christ's resurrection, or through the crucifixion, is to see that Jesus came into the world, into real human flesh, and had real human experiences, the same kinds of emotions and experiences and relationships that we have. And in his ministry and in the crucifixion, Jesus then enters the world, intervening into the very human affairs that were going on in the life around him. Jesus then, giving his own life in crucifixion, gave it for the life of the world with a character, a character of endlessly powerful self-giving Jesus intervened love. in the world and through resurrection, proclaimed love and mercy and justice and hope in a world that knew lots of struggle. What I think Paul means by this idea of wisdom and knowledge is that it's not really about what we know or what wisdom we have in this particular case. It's not about case. our ability or our or, or what we know, really, as much as this wisdom being about a who in this instance. The wisdom is embodied and personified in Jesus. You see, for Paul, Christ is the ultimate source of wisdom and the ultimate experience of self-giving love, which is the central point of contact with, for real wisdom in, in Paul's teaching. Nothing among human wisdom can compare to what Jesus reveals. And by God's Spirit, we live a life of faith that begins to access this wisdom. Self-giving love in Jesus becomes, for us, a way of life. It is a, a new framework for understanding the world around us. Later in the letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, Jesus, uh, 
Paul will tell the Corinthians that everything old has passed away and see everything has become Paul, this new. characterizes the resurrection revealed through wisdom to us which shows that the world is being made new. And Paul says that people who follow Jesus are to have the mind of Christ, which is an abstract phrase which can be described in many different ways, few of which I have found to be clear or direct. But maybe something that the preacher Caroline Lewis says. She says that it is not enough to know about God. As disciples, we have to be the activity of God in the world. It might start with with our lives lived out. So living with the mind of Christ is living with a sense of what God is doing in the world. It means considering and imagining how Christ is entering our lives, the life of our community, the life of the world around us, and it means that we join in with what God is doing. We join in by what we say, by what we do, by the relationships we form. Paul describes this in a variety of ways, some of which elsewhere in this letter to the Corinthians might ring familiar. Love is patient, or perhaps love another. Is kind. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not or your another. own? Where Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts, but there is the same Spirit. Paul wants the Corinthian disciples, the people of the church in Corinth, to consider the ways that they love, to consider the identities that they live out, and the spiritual gifts which they have been given. Paul, I think, would have us do the same. Will we love with the same love which Christ loves with? Will we give of ourselves and give to one another just as Christ has given to us. our gifts so that what God is doing will be made Those known. Those who lived with this mind of Christ that Paul describes can imagine a world made new. The mind of Christ encourages participation in, in actions of love that are generous and giving of oneself. And the church in Corinth is learning to live this kind of life in Christ. And I think there's an important distinction worth Often raising. when we talk about living a life in Christ, it is described as something that we imitate, that we observe and learn the way of Jesus and then we behave in similar ways. And, and this is true, this is, is good, but Paul is actually taking this just a bit further. If Jesus entered the world to intervene and transform and to bring life among people, then putting on the mind of Christ is more than mere imitation. Putting on the mind of Christ is participation, but not just as an external response. The mind of Christ is calling to pe- calling to people to become part of the activity of God. Not just in what we do, but what we know, what we understand, 
in our emotions within us. So the Christian community might love where love is scarce. The people of faith would seek to restore broken human relationships. A new life might be discovered. The church establishes a place of welcome where there is exclusion might transform those who are welcomed as well as those offering a welcome. The mind of Christ for Paul is the guiding narrative of being the church. That we enter into the mind of Christ, into the way that God operates, the way God functions in the world and in our lives, and we become part of what God is doing. Not mere imitators or copycats. We are partners. We are part of Christ because Christ is also. So when I think about Jefferson Avenue Presbyterian Church, when I think about our guiding narratives that I hear spoken among us among, when we tell stories about who we are to one another or to people in the community, there's one that comes to mind about our doors. I mean, our physical large wood doors at, at the, the entrance, the avenue entrance to our sanctuary. When I became this church's pastor, I was told a variety of stories about these doors, these doors that did not when I open. asked why they didn't open, I also got a variety of other stories that I had not heard. And some of the stories described anxiety, some of the stories described noise, some of the stories were about preferences, but collectively they may have had a truth somewhere in the middle of them, but the guiding narrative about them was that the doors were closed, but we are not. So in hearing all these stories, I just could not understand why the doors did not work. The stories that I heard suggested that the fact that they remained closed was a misrepresentation of the church, of who this congregation is. And without the practice of opening those doors regularly, the hinges had ceased actually lost in a box of unused keys in the church office, which the staff very joyfully sorted through for me. They did find it. But when people told stories about those doors, there was a guiding narrative at work, a guiding narrative that talked about who we were as a people of faith, who we were as people who follow Christ. The narrative said that doors that do not work and are not open do not define who we are as a church. Because we were a church with open doors and open minds, hearts that welcome people who desire relationships with all of our neighbors and even the narrative i heard was that we are a different church than the church whose doors are a barrier or a church whose doors will not open for others again and again were people saying that this is a church that is self-giving in its relationships and its faith that this is a church that participates 
in sharing and living out the self-giving love that we know Christ lived out as well. So when the key was found, the door still didn't open because we got out of the practice of opening them. But rusted shut, our building manager, Larry, managed to get them working. We hired someone to help repair the mechanics of the last year. On Palm Sunday, the doors opened for worship for the first time in many years. And there was an elder who stood right here. And when Elder Bill looked back before he read scripture and said, those doors are open, the congregation in here applauded celebrated, cheered. Why? Those doors suddenly revealed and matched the guiding narrative that was actually at work within all of you right here in this sanctuary. Saying that this church has an open welcome and that all is wel- all are welcome always going to be aspiration aspiration. that is at the heart of who this congregation is and who we are for pretend it's not open doors mean an open welcome and that is a guiding narrative that is a part of the activity of god part of the the story of god and open doors really does transform the story a church tells because that story we tell has that we tell has now changed literal representation of the doors matches the guiding narrative that we share. And for the wisdom behind that guiding narrative, there is a wisdom that is found in Christ that is alive and active out in the world. May that narrative, may that story, may that always guide this church us who seek to live its faith in the very things that God is doing here and in our neighborhood in our city as we seek to live our faith with that same self-giving love that God shares with us may we share God it always be at work by God's spirit in the people this day and always Amen.